delivering all the news, the informed views, and just telling great motorsport stories since 2003. Powered by the Racetalk.com. This is on the grid. <laughs> G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of On The Grid here on mypodcasthouse.com or on the radio show Limited's RS1. Thank you for joining us. Big show coming your way, Jack Perkins. To join myself and Richard in just a sec, a big project has just been completed for the Perkins family. We'll find out what that was all about very, very shortly. We'll also speak to Mark Walker who is still on assignment overseas. We'll find out what's happening in the world of NASCAR, IndyCar, Formula One, Hots and Knots, all that to come. Right here on The Grid. You're listening to the latest from around the motorsport world. On The Grid. And joining me off the top of the program, as he always does, Richard Crail. Hello to you, buddy. Hello, Tony Shebecki. Uh, rare weekend off for all of us in the domestic motor racing world, but uh, lots going on internationally, which was good. Uh, we had a good Grand Prix. What a breath of fresh air Sunday night was after a pretty turgid mid-season stretch of Formula One races. So... We'll talk about that. There was some IndyCar, a bit of exciting NASCAR at yeah. Daytona to get into the playoffs, which was good and bad for some. But uh, yeah, lots going on and lots to build up to as we count down to enduro season. Exactly. But uh, we're joined by an old mate of the program. He's been on with us for a few times. We love having a chat to him, especially now because there's something interesting in the wind. Jack Perkins, hello to you. G'day, guys, and and good to be on the show. And uh I must admit, I've, I've got two things to add just to your little intro there. First one is I saw a funny thing about um, Zach Brown saying if Max Verstappen wasn't in the championship and Sergio Perez was in both Red Bulls, it would be very entertaining. <laughs> Correct. And the second one, Krause, there was a few late night sh- shenanigans here on Saturday night and we may or may not have been speaking to Martin Truex Jr.'s crew chief on a FaceTime while he's driving to the track. (laughs) (laughs) That would be James Small, of course. Uh, Yeah. But I am digressing, fellas. Nice to be on the show. No, Any no, chance it, of getting that audio for the podcast? That'd be yeah. quite interesting, I would have thought. <laughs> well, actually, he'd, be, he'd be a bloody good podcast guest, James Small, at the end of the year. Yes. Especially, especially if old Truex can get up, and he's certainly in the mix. But, um, yeah, wild old Daytona. It, absolutely insane having a plate race as the race to get into the NASCAR playoffs. And with resulting chaos and carnage and thrilling stuff that always happens at a plate race at Daytona. Oh, it's unbelievable, isn't it? I mean, for those of you that, I don't know, the people that are listening that haven't seen it, it's pretty hard to explain, to be fair, in in a podcast. But it's just an absolute lottery, isn't it? Um, But we Mm. do love NASCAR and we love Daytona. But I must admit, I think we'd organised to go to Phoenix to watch the last race with James the other night. I think he's got tickets. He might be disappointed when we don't. And show up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it's good stuff. But the re- we wanted to get you on for two reasons. One, of course, enduro season coming up, and you've got a big role to play in that, which we'll touch on a little bit later on. But social media was a light late last week because uh, there was a pretty cool moment for fans, and I can't imagine what it must have been like for you and your old man as you roll the famous 1993 great race winner the VP Commodore, out to Calder Park, and it ran, drove, cut laps for the first time after what's been a, a mammoth rebuild. And I'll start this off by saying that everyone needs to go to the Perkins Engineering YouTube channel, give it a like and a subscribe, and then go back and watch this whole process because Jack's done an amazing job documenting this whole rebuild of the 93 and the the later car as well. But what, what was that like, Jacko, to get that car back on the track? And we'll, we'll talk about the rebuild in a minute, but what was it like to get it back out on the track with your old man driving and see that weapon back on the road as we approach the 60th anniversary great race? Yeah, look, it, it's been it's been an amazing kind of couple of weeks, Krause, for, for a few reasons. And one is um, I started the restoration of the 1993 car back in February 2016, and I, I mentioned it to, uh, I think it was Stefan from Speak, uh, not Speak Up anymore, he's from V8 Sleuth. But yeah. I started that project before I met my wife and now I'm married with a couple of kids. And, <laughs> you know, it's funny because a lot of people ask, how does it take so long and why does it take so long? And like you touched on, I've been documenting, I actually first of all started documenting it on the Perkins Engineering Facebook page. 
And then when we got super bored in COVID, we started the YouTube channel and kind of took it to the next level. But, um, you know, it's just been a, an incredible journey for me. Um, first of all, it hasn't been my full-time nine-to-five job in that period. So, yes, it can take less time than it did. But, you know, for me, you know, given the dad and I, um, sort of own the car and whatnot. It was it was not sort of my full time job. It's not what I can draw a wage off when you're working on your own projects. But um, we've certainly got aspects of it that we can relate back to our Perkins Engineering business and what we're doing with other people and restoring other cars and helping other customers. So, yeah, the 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 whole project has just been an unbelievable one, mate. Like it came to the factory as a as a dirty old VR Commodore, VS Commodore that had won the Victorian State Series Sports Sedan Championships in 2015, and it had been flogged to a dear death. And um, you know, just in every step of the way, finding parts, finding photos, finding specifications. You know, I've basically been involved with everything. And um, to take it to Calder the other day, and and like I said, to accelerate the the last couple of weeks, we really have made it a bit more of a full-time job because we're getting closer to the, the 30th anniversary and celebrating that at Bathurst this year. So we wanted to you know, give it an end date, give it a purpose and get it finished. And getting it on track was a really important part of the restoration because I didn't want to just take it up to Bathurst and it turns a few laps and has some mechanical issues and, and it needed to have a shakedown. So um, Calder Park's only 15 minutes from where I'm located and it was the ideal um, place to go to in terms of nostalgia and um, I guess ease of transport and a bit of bit of cheaper cost to rent the circuit helps as well. <laughs> I'd spoken to you once before about taking the car to Malalar in search yeah. of a slightly warmer climate um, but yeah I was following that weather like a hawk the last sort of seven days and and then when we, we got it on track it didn't miss a beat, you know, watching dad drive past the first time and there wasn't any smoke pouring off it. The wheels were, 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 were pointing straight ahead and it appeared to be on eight cylinders. And uh, I tell you that the social media stuff hasn't finished yet, mate. When this, when our little YouTube video gets clipped up, the, the reaction of my old man uh, when he pulls into the pits, I've got a microphone on, it's unscripted. It's going to be priceless. That's great. I can only imagine. Jack, you, you mentioned how much time was put in to getting it together and, and sourcing the parts. And that sounds like you have gone to basically 100% original of what it was. Is it that close? Oh, absolutely, Shebexta. And, um, you know, to sort of paint a picture for those that aren't, you know, necessarily completely technically minded, that car was a VP Commodore at Bathurst. It was the last Holden-powered engine to win the great race. Every other Holden victory since 93 had a Chevy engine. So it had a completely different body kit on it, being the VS Commodore. Mm. It had a Chevrolet engine in it, um, which then meant basically most of the driveline, except for the gearbox and the and the, and the diff housing were redundant. Actually, the diff housing was redundant. Um, but would you believe some of the parts, they were still sitting in boxes that had been passed through various owners of the cars. We were able to find a lot of photos through so many friends of ours, whether it be the V8 Sleuth, Aaron Noonan, uh, Ray Bergie Berghaus for Chevron Publishing, and so many people, especially through the Facebook network as well. A lot of the amateur photos, my mum's photo albums got a hell of a run because when you're looking to restore a car, you need photos underneath the skin. You know, all the photos that mm. were in magazines and books on the racetrack, everyone's got photos on the racetrack, but not everyone's got photos with the bonnet up or the doors open or and would you believe there was a fella in Mildura who who happened to be in Maruville, which is the town just near where my dad was from. They took the car post Bathurst on the way to the Adelaide Grand Prix into the country town to sort of do a few burnouts up the main drag back in 93. And this fella, Anthony Cook, he helped us out enormously. He took photos under the car in the transporter <laughs> while it was parked in the main drag of Maruville. So... Um, a lot of that stuff was was just brilliant and, uh, you know, the power of social media, but also the will of people that want to help you and don't necessarily want to, you know, send you a big invoice for their troubles is also pretty cool. But I think we're incredibly lucky as a sport mm. to have the, the, the audience and the fan base and the supporter base that we've got that so many of them do document everything. And, and even as a kid, you know, I'd, I'd buy th save up, buy three rolls of film to take to Malalar for my round at the touring cars. And, you know, I'd try and take as many photos of the cars up close and things like that. And trips to the Grand Prix were the same that I've used in my work since then. But we're so lucky there's this resource around. And then there's people closer in the industry like Noons, who you mentioned, who's got 
you know, the largest repository of motorsport photos in Australia by a margin. It's remarkable, isn't it? The stuff that gets unearthed and the amount of information that's out there from people that you wouldn't wouldn't even remotely expect it to come from. Oh, um, uh, unbelievably true, uh, Krause, because like I said, the, the Facebook I set up was kind of like a modern day um, notice board. Mm. And it was actually so, so interesting when I first started talking about the idea, I was actually up on the, um, up on the farm in Harvest. So that must've been end of 2017. And I was just talking to my share farmer and his mum, Jocelyn Lindener, who was friends with my grandpa. So she's, you know, she's, she's quite old. And uh, she said, well, I'll put a notice board in the community. And, and sure enough, straight away, we found some photos again from some locals, some people that dad went to school with and whatnot. Wow. That, again, used to go to Malala just to, to watch. And, right. and yeah, it was just unbelievable. And, and to think that so many people are not only interested, but, you know, keen to help you. Um, it's a cool feeling. And like I said, we sort of set that Facebook up. I haven't looked lately, but I, I think we've got nearly 40,000 people on there. And yeah. I guarantee you, I haven't bought any of them. They're, <laughs> you know, they're legitimate followers of what we do. And mm. quite often I put a post up there looking for something and, um, you know, I'll get someone that will help me out. So it's been great. And Jack, I've seen you in the garage. I've seen you around cars and you're very much like a sponge. You take it all in. You, you, uh, you love hearing feedback and and the like i'm assuming you've been very much the same with your media career and you you've taken all the stuff that you've done with channel 10 and, and the other media stuff that you've done in in the last few years and have utilized that to your advantage in regards to documenting this whole thing yeah that's true like i've learned especially from you two blokes and and lots of other guys that i've worked with you you guys are all pros at what you do and i've always whether it be working with richard or you shebexter or Anyone um, in the motorsport, you know, media world, you're all very good at what you do. And to be able to kind of learn from you guys over the years and just sort of, I don't know, turn it into something that I can do. You know, I never thought I'd be able to talk in front of a camera as a kid. I just wanted to be a race car driver. But I've got, a, a you know, an extreme passion for it and I enjoy talking about it. And, you know, from time to time people say, I, I don't do a bad job of talking about it. So I, I guess I keep doing it. And... Um, the YouTube channel's pretty low budget, I've got to be honest with you. I quite often film it with my iPhone and a few microphones and whatnot, but there's been a few times where I've been able to kind of invest a little bit of money into getting some guys to come and help me film and do that sort of things if I've got to be, you know, doing the jobs or want to do a nice job. And for Calder, we've got, you know, three or four GoPros in the car and a couple of external shots. And it's still, you know, not a million-dollar exercise, but it's something that I'm going to be quite proud of and, you know, it's also now that I've got kids, it's the ability to kind of document history um, as well because, you know, you know, in my time when I was a kid, we didn't have a lot of videos and, you know, it's still pretty hard to come by. And in this day and age, we're very lucky that we've probably got more videos than photos, which is which is pretty cool as well. So, um, yeah, I'm, I've enjoyed it. And it just gives you another um, part of experience as, as well because you kind of got to produce it and film it and edit it and talk about it and mm. you just get you get more experience every time don't you you just never stop learning right yeah Correct. Don't... Because if, I, if i could just yeah. say well 20 years of radio some of my most treasured moments mate and i'm going to throw it back at you as some of the top 10 shootouts we did at bathurst together for for SEN over the time thank you so much for being a part of it well and and i believe i i did it with the pair of you there for a few times as well i think uh, we did, I did. Yep. Yeah, Krause, you were involved, and I remember we paused for a few horse races there over the few, <laughs> over the time. We did, but you know, you, you just always uh, you're always learning, and um, uh, I just appreciate that. Um, you know, you, you can often get people like yourselves give me a call and say, "Hey, come and give me a hand calling the shootout," or whatever it may be, and you know, it never gets lost on me. That's for sure. So thanks, boys. Yeah, then then you got too good and Channel Ten or Seven signed you, and you also got better co-drive. So yeah, <laughs> you ended up being a bit busy. Don't talk yourself down about the way you film those videos either. Right? They give a great. It, it's like being in the workshop with you doing it, and I've been there in the workshop and seen it as well. So no, I I, I love that. It's great. You would have been ninety three, what seven when that car yep. won? What do you remember, mate? I I funnily enough remember quite a lot. Not so much off the top of my head, but having, you know, spent seven or eight years looking at every photo I could possibly find and 
you know, my mum had really good photo albums. She wasn't in there taking photos of wheel nuts or anything, but she was taking photos of the family and whatnot. But a lot of the photos in the background you can see are in the garages at the racetrack or in the workshop. And you kind of then start to remember what what you've seen in the photos. And I remember, I've told this story before, you know, back in the old pits at Bathurst, one of the nights, and I just find it so hard to believe now that I've got kids and I'm coming up racing at Bathurst, but I found a rabbit hole and I had a heap of pet little rabbits for the weekend. And Saturday night before the race, dad's trying to get a, you know, go home early. And there he is putting a, putting these pet rabbits inside a tire, putting a cardboard sheet over them so they could go to bed <laughs> the night before the race. And I'll be honest, if, if my four-year-old daughter said that to me Saturday night at Bathurst, I'd tell her to nick off because yeah. <laughs> you focus and you your energy and everything like oh, I'm still so caught up in in what I want to do the next day that I I don't know if I've got the space to process that but maybe for dad it was an opportunity to not think about it not think about whether the engine was going to last the distance whether the you know the wheels were going to stay tight and the brakes weren't going to wear out maybe it was a good outlet but for me I'm sort of that focused on driving I kind of don't have any space the night before to think about what my what my kids might want me to do as selfish as that sounds, you see. So there's some of the memories, but you know, my sister wasn't there that weekend. So I'd made a little sign for her on the grid saying hi to my sister. Um, and mate, I tell you, I don't know if you boys remember the company. I can't remember his name, but Axis Films um, and Benny yes. Beasley and a few other guys that we know work for those guys. They dragged out some footage that I'd never seen before. From Tim, that period. Tim, Tim. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's his surname? It'll, yeah, come to us, it'll come to us in the middle of the night. Again, yeah. great people that reached out and they were keen to, you know, were keen to put some kind of documentary together because some of this footage they filmed for Castro and Dunlop never been seen before on a, on a broadcast. And there's footage of us walking to the podium with my mum and my auntie Jan and things like that. So, yeah, just kind of heavily involved as a little kid, just in the background, kind of fly on the wall sort of stuff when you think about it, but probably annoying everyone in the race team. And, um, Oh, I've seen a photo of me cleaning the car at one point oh, during the week. So nice. it could have been a complete waste of space, but yeah, just, <laughs> I don't know. It was just a, you know, I wish there was more videos to be honest, because of the video footage we've got now from, you know, Bathurst this year that we'll get, will be, will be epic, but it's, um, you know, obviously a great moment. Dad's first race win for his own team, I think, holds a special place in the family's heart. And, um, yeah, it's been a cool journey. Yeah, Tim Maloney. Tim Maloney, that's right. Tim Maloney, well that's it. Well done, Shebex. Well done. Yeah, and a, and a great race. Last one on the 93 car before we talk about more uh, more current matters. Um, I was fortunate enough, I think, in 21 to swing by the workshop in its old location in Melbourne and, and you were good enough to show me through and I could have spent a week geeking out over technical drawings of the engine or the chassis or the roll cage and all the stuff you're showing me, which was amazing. But just give our listeners an indication of the level you went to and just give one example. I remember you telling me a story about a bottle, a bleed bottle or something in the boot that you chased down the original bottle or something like that. But just, just give us one example of you going to the end of the earth to replicate or, or to get originality in this restoration? Well, I could, I could probably give you a couple of quick ones. And, and one of them is definitely, yeah, the, the drink bottle was a big one. So they, they use a, a red, I forget the name of the brand now, but they use like a red uh, igloo type uh, mm. esky. And, you know, they're all blue from, from, if you ever think of what an esky color is, it's blue, but these ones are red. And I kind of found them on eBay somewhere. I forget where it was. It might've been an IGA in Renmark or something like that. And, Got them out of there, and then we have the same thing. The the bleed bottles you speak of in the boot were actually survivors in the race car. So when I found some photos inside the boot, there was AP Racing brake fluid bottles that that had obviously about to throw in the bin, drill a hole in them, put a breather hose in, and, and we'll use that and save a few dollars. And they were survivors. Um, but one of the one of the best stories um, was one I just completely tripped across was the seat. Now I'll drop you another name: Paul Faulkner, Aviation Component Services, Moorabbin Airport owns an Alan Jones Formula One car. Yep. Ripper fella, I went down there. He did some crack testing on some Perkins Dymag wheels for me, and he said, "I've got something you might like." And I got down there, and and there's a SAS racing seat sitting there, and uh, I said, "Oh, what's this?" He said, "This is yours." I said, "What's the story?" He said, "Well." Funnily enough, we were racing Porsches at State Series at Sandown in the mid to late 90s, and um, we didn't pass scrutineering because you had to have a passenger seat in the car. 
And at Friday night, five o'clock, who, who was around? They rang Perkins Engineering because we would always have Friday afternoon beers. So anyway, the guys said, come down, we've got a seat here. And when Paul dropped him, they showed him this seat and they said, look, someone bought, wanted to buy the 93 Bathurst winning seat. He said, but um, they sold him a dummy. And and anyway, the Perkins, the Perkins fellow said, this is actually the 93 Bathurst winning seat. So underneath, someone in Texter wrote another 93 race winning seat. Paul said, turn it over, have a look. Under there, it said another 93 race winning oh, seat. He gave it no. to me. So I've got the original race winning seat with a story that sounds believable. Yes, it does. <laughs> Thank God the Statue of Limitations have passed. Uh, that's sensational. Exactly right. So someone out there that probably paid, I don't know, a couple hundred bucks for a seat. Look, if you're telling your mates that that's the 93 winning seat, good on you, but we've got two of them. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's incredible. Incredible story. Um, Hopefully for you, some more incredible stories coming up in the next couple of weeks. Sandown 500 is back, which is great. I think we all love that. And then the great race for the 60th anniversary. Uh, You go on with a team that's leading the championship with a driver in good form. What are you thinking? How's the the plan coming together for you guys at Coca-Cola Racing and, and this plan for the Enduros? Yeah, I, I tell you what, like uh, I joked at the start there that we had a bit of late night shenanigans the other night, which was just for my birthday. And this year there's been extremely less of that because I've been pretty focused on the task at hand when it comes to these endurance races. And it actually started for me, like I, I, I this is my third year with Will and I've always taken my racing pretty seriously, but I've had a couple of things, whether it be fatherhood, COVID and, and a little health drama where I put on a bit of weight and I needed to kind of get on top of that. And I've been training in the gyms for three or four days a week since end of January. I've, as of today, dropped 10 kilos since the start mm-hmm. of the year. And I'm, I'm in pretty good nick from a fitness point of view. And I, I just knew that this year was a really, really good one to have a big crack at it. And uh, so I've left no stone unturned. We've put together the Super 2 program, which actually hasn't gone that well, unfortunately. But... Mm. Um, you know, we're still going and we've finally had our second test day of the season after three rain affected ones and some dismal performances in terms of Perth was 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 no good and towns were crashing out and qualifying. Um, but you know, thanks to Shore of Partners and a few sponsors, we've we've had a big crack this year at San and Bathurst, mate. And the whole thing has just been sort of crescendoing into this point. And I put my faith in Erebus three years ago when I when I did a deal with Barry to drive with Will back when the, everyone had written them off, and now they're the championship leading team. And you know I got sick of sticking up for them, and I think now I don't need to stick up any further because their their proofs there. So um, stand down is something I've targeted. You know a lot of people talk about Bathurst, but stand down for me is a great one because it's a warm up event in these new cars. I love the stand down circuit. I'm doing both Super Two and Main Game in both stand down and Bathurst, but just gives us a great chance to kind of do what we did for a hundred years, which is have a, have a prelim final before the final. And yeah. uh, you, you've touched on Will, Will's in good form. The whole team's in good form and to be representing um, Coca-Cola, Erebus. Um, yeah. It's just, I got my new suit the other day and saw the Coca-Cola on there. And nice. Thought that was all pretty cool. And, you know, we've got a proper test day coming up next week. Um, Cause we still really haven't done a proper test day as a co-driver. Cause a lot of the other teams have used up their testing. Whereas Erebus have got two days up their sleeve. So, um, you know, I'm looking forward to kind of getting that car for the majority of the day and having a good crack at putting the stopwatch down and seeing what we can do and just get comfortable. We've already done driver change practices, stuff like that. Will and I focused on a few of them a couple of months ago now. So, you know, a lot of guys have only just started thinking about that, but we've been covering off, a few things quite earlier than people would understand. And yeah, hopefully um, the preparation's there. I'm not going to set any high expectations, but if we can keep delivering and do our jobs, you'd be disappointed to think we can't have a good run. Yeah. Final one from me, mate. Do you feel that this could be the last year you drive with Will? Um, well, you never say never, Shebex. I mean, I-, I had a laugh with someone the other day because this is my eighth one-year co-driving deal as a co-driver. I did five years with HRT, Walkinshaw, yep. Walk, and Walkinshaw Andrew United with James Courtney. Um, then I had a year where I was meant to be with Will Davison in a very competitive seat and I ended up with Jack Smith at Brad Jones, but kept my, my skin in the game. Um, but I've always treated, you know, and then, sorry, and then this is my third year with, with Erebus and Will Brown. I've always treated every year like it could be my own last year if my performances aren't good enough. So I'm hoping, Shebex, that I can do a very, very good job and that, you know, 
people, whether it be Erebus or Will Brown, want me back next year. So let's just get through this year and see how we go. I know you go back a bit with uh, with the Danes and Triple Eight, so you know. Yeah. Will's got his nice new deal locked away for the future, so who knows? <laughs> I think you boys are getting a bit heady. Oh, I know, no, I know you're not going to say anything, mate. I know. Um, <laughs> well done on the resto. It was very, very cool to see the social media clips of that thing running, and that was that was cool. And I can't wait for the YouTube video as well. And Looking forward to catching up at uh, Big Bad Sandown in a couple of weeks for the 500 and then seeing how things go in the Coca-Cola Camaro and the big one in uh, in a couple of weeks' time. Good stuff, guys. Yeah, it's going to be it's gonna be awesome. And I appreciate, you know, the support you guys give me and, and everyone, not just in the fraternity, out of the fraternity, Facebook, whatever it is. Everyone seems to love what we're doing. I've got a few blokes convinced I'm actually a good bloke, so it mustn't be all bad. <laughs> well, you've, su- you've sucked us in for a very long time, mate. Believe me. <laughs> Good Cheers, on you, Jack. Mate. Thanks for your time. I'd appreciate it. Good on you, boys. Cheers. Jack Perkins joining us here on The Grid. There's more great motorsport stories coming next on The Grid. All right, as we do, we always welcome Mark Walker to the program for our second half. Hello, Mark. Spexter, Krause. Formula One, hey? What a thing. It's back. Especially in the afternoon, I'm presuming it's a great thing. Uh, now it, that... It, uh, yeah. <laughs> we got... One message and one message only from you during the course of the Grand Prix. And if people weren't listening last week, Mark is currently on assignment in Germany, uh, which means primetime Formula One, like Arvo F1. And I experienced uh, the Spanish Grand Prix, at least the bits of it we stayed awake for, um, in the afternoon when I was in France earlier this year. And it is a strange feeling, but... I got the distinct impression, Mark, that a few amber beverages might have been consumed during your Formula Uno watching on Sunday afternoon, German time, perhaps. Just a uh, few. I would have. I didn't really have an internet connection, so I couldn't uh, live tweet each mm. successive refill. But disappointing. Uh, look, dip into the hots right now. Clearly, <laughs> watching an F one race at three o'clock in the afternoon. It's, it's so good. good. It is great. Um, look, I've got to say, the Sky F one Germany commentary team were fantastic. And I mean, yeah. I could barely understand a word they were saying, but uh, it was better than that pro-British propaganda we cop every week. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that was refreshing. Um, interesting, mm. the the Germans here, they cop an overdubbed pommy feed. So there'll be sections of the time where Anthony Davison's on screen, but muted. And oh. he's just babbling away there in English and you don't understand what's going on. So it was quite a weird setup. You would have thought yeah. for a country 80 million people that Sky in Germany would treat it a bit more seriously, but um, world food that was something weird. Where that, yeah. Mm, yeah. But um, all in all, um, they had their own little tech experts there breaking stuff down, but um, it was quite bizarre at stages to, to cop some pommy talking heads on there, which even in mute, that was fine. I'll cop that. Mm. Who were the, who were the uh, German experts? No idea. I think no, Ralph Schumacher's, I think Ralph Schumacher's one of them, isn't he? I reckon. Possibly. Yeah. It was just, it was just chat. It was just, <laughs> you're just waiting for that. So you get the radio call and you understand yeah. what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it was a good race. And um, oh, was it really? Yeah, it was. Yes. Yeah, no, it, it was actually a great, great Grand Prix. And as I wrote on the race talk on Monday, it was like Formula One has this strange, strange ability to produce a series of just terrible races. And and the thing about the last couple of races were that they, they were okay, but they were completely meaningless because Max was out in front, but then even all the overtaking in the midfield was just all just easy DRS mm. blow past them at warp nine, like the other one standing still. And they just meant nothing. And that, mm. that is worse than being boring for mine is, is being meaningless. That's like 15th and 16th playing in the final round of the AFL and they can't yeah. even tank to get um, get the number one draft pick. So I, the, the thing about um, the thing about Zandvoort was that it, it had meaning, it had impact, it had gravitas, it had consequence because the way they were racing, dry or wet, well, they were a quarter of a car width away from sending something into the mm. lower earth atmosphere. Like the blocking that was going on down into turn one, and they nailed the DRS because it got them side by side into the braking zone or just side by side, but it didn't allow them to just blow by. And that's what DRS should be. Um, and as a result, 
even when it was dry, the racing was insane. But when it was wet, my God, it was unbelievable. And the car control of that. And, and I will cop a Max Verstappen win every race if that's the kind of race that produces it because it was captivating, utterly captivating. First of all, you had the rain halfway through the first lap. I mean, that was, uh, you couldn't script that any better. And then the, mm. the mixed up strategy there at the start where Perez has gotten up, I'm pinning right now, first lap. And then he jumps everyone. That was uh, pretty cool. And Joel Guanyu up there as well. Um, you had overtakes into the hairpin behind the pits there where mm, even right. Max, that's where he did his overtaking was mm. into there rather than at the end of the main straight with a super fast Red Bull on the straight line. Uh, it had a lot of things to like there that, um, and some knots too, which we'll get to later on, I'm sure, with that red flag. But uh, I thought it was entertaining. Good race. And like you said, the consequences. George Russell, how he didn't have an enormous spud there. You know, Logan Sargent absolutely dropped it cold as well. Yeah. So uh, it, was, uh, it wasn't it was that cookie-cutter race where everyone finishes, which was Daniel Ricciardo had a fairly big consequence, didn't he, from his off? Yeah. Uh, spoilers, that's a knot, isn't it? Yeah. It's two probably... Races, uh, two races it probably come back. Probably good if you're Red Bull because you get a look at Lawson for free. Really, yeah. you get uh, the best of both worlds there if you're Red Bull because th- he was one of the options to go in that seat. Now he gets his chance to see how he went, and he did a pretty stout job, I reckon. Yeah, oh, yeah. he was he was exceptional given he had one sixty minute practice in inclement, like he'd never driven the slick before the start of the race. Like how how challenging is that? Like knocked mm. out in part one of quality, so doesn't get any good running there. Um, which was always going to happen. One practice session and ends up finishing 13th and beats his teammate and beats a whole lot of well-credentialed drivers who should know better in a car that is arguably the worst car on the grid this year. So, yeah, I thought his performance was great. We won't talk too much about him because I'm sure we'll talk about him in the hots at some point. Yeah, I'm sure we will. I'll tell you what, if I can go early with a hot here, and that's also the Australian Grand Prix. And their ability to sell out Sunday grandstand tickets in a few hours. hours. Two hours. That it's like it's Taylor Swift levels of selling out. It's amazing, isn't it? That's the well, and that's the Alonso draw, isn't it? Just on the off chance that Tay Tay might rock up and sing the national anthem or something. (laughs) Have all these people not been watching Formula One this year? (laughs) Well, this is the thing. (laughs) it's a ten thousand pound gorilla that just keeps swinging. It's amazing. But yeah, two hours. That is bonkers. And grandstand tickets for the Saturday, I think, also have been exhausted as well. A little bit over two hours, but... And arguably, Saturday's the day to go, really, yeah. because there's so much more on track. Um, well, and, I love and Travis Hall, though. He's come out today and he's gone. Now, we we understand that Saturday and Sunday are sold out, but there's some great things happening on Thursday and Friday. <laughs> and they're, they're competent <laughs> days, absolutely. <laughs> for sure. Surely you build more grandstands. Surely you find some more space. Like, yeah, well, how, yeah, how could 100%. you not put more grandstands up if you you know you're going to sell them out? Like the, grandstand the circuit. The cost to revenue equation surely would stack up because you could probably put 500 bucks a seat on them, which I'm sure they already are, and um, you'd still sell them all out in a heartbeat. So if, if I was Travis Old, I'd be ringing the Adelaide 500 people and going, hey, look, we know we screwed you over 25 years ago, but... Um, <laughs> Let bygones be bygones. But, but when, you, when you tear the Adelaide street circuit down after the 500, you reckon you can just move that 15,000-seat main grandstand and just plonk it down somewhere out the back of Albert Park? That'd be great, thanks. Yeah, you know, the great yeah, thing about it is... Like, in a heartbeat. Is it still going to cost us 100 million bucks? Yeah, but I, it's, let's not get into that, Shebex, because we all know on this show that it is absolutely worth it. I know, 100%. How about those punters who've they've won the golden ticket, but it winds up being in the front row and the main yeah. straight, and they can't actually see anything. Yeah. yeah, they spend the race watching it on a big, big TV. Yeah, crazy. But great. 100,000 people pre-registered for the grandstand tickets. That's just... It's, it's, seriously, it's, it's Taylor Swift levels of, yeah. of madness, which is awesome. It's great for the sport. Well, hopefully we have two Aussies on the grid. Well, who knows? I, I would, yeah, three. <laughs> three? Yeah, well, get Jack in there. Well, Liam Lawson's uh, going to be an Australian at some point, isn't he? Surely, he's raced well, here. Yeah, well, okay. yeah, he's won one races here. I do you know? I called his first race win on Australian soil. Did you? True story. What was Formula, it? Formula Four Sandown in the pouring rain. 
the race that uh, I couldn't get to. I was calling, yeah, I was calling F4 that yeah. weekend. Uh, I did the little welcome. They had a welcome function at Jayco Caravans because they were the sponsor on the Friday night. No, it was Thursday night before the event. Um, they had a welcome function there that I did a little MC with, and I met Kenny Smith, who introduced me to Liam at the time. Um, and I was, I, I was, I'll be brutally honest, more interested in talking to Kenny because that bloke is a bona fide legend of our sport. And Liam at the time was 14 and a half or 15 mm-hmm. and didn't say two words. And he's clearly got some swagger about him now, which is terrific. But um, yeah. And then he's that I'm pretty certain his first race win was in torrential rain. He was driving yeah, for BRM who I know really well. Yeah. And, um, and he was, we were just like, well, where's this kid come from? This is incredible. Yeah, New Zealand um, in the rain. Yeah, Who would have yep, thought? Yep, I remember that extremely well. It was at a at a Shannon's round. So, yeah, it was um that was good times. So um yeah, yeah. you feel you sort of feel part of the journey in a in a tiny tiny insignificant unrealistic part um part of it. But it's I very co-commentated cool. with Liam over at Pukekohe when the oh, four, really? the fours went over there. Oh, they did go to Pukekohe, didn't yeah, they? Just the for one year they made. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> but they, they produced like full credit. They produced some talent out of Formula Four. So yeah. good on them. No, that's yeah. cool. No, we, yeah. I think that no one. The only reason it was sad that he got the start was because it replaced Daniel. And we were all keen to see what Daniel was going to do mm. in the second half of the year with some seat time. But um, pretty good opportunity for Red Bull to get a decent look at him because uh, in the main team, things look increasingly shaky for uh, old Checo Perez because he... Uh, it's not going real well. So, um, yeah, who knows? Maybe you um, maybe you take the look, punt and slide and LL in. Look, at least he had the presence of mind to back it into the fence. True. <laughs> True. But that, didn't was, the that old, was pretty handy. Didn't the old penalty at the end there just – that was just the nail in the coffin, wasn't it? Seriously. Oh, cost him a podium. Unbelievable. Yeah. Anyway, let's move forward. Uh I know Jack had a little bit of a chat about Daytona earlier on, but uh, boys, what did you think of it? Well, let's just leave that. Let, let's just dive straight that? into the hots and knots, okay. actually. We might as well just go straight in, shall we? Because yeah, cool. I think we'll cover everything that happened on the weekend off in the hots and knots, right? I think I think we all agree that's what's going to happen right yeah, here. Go. So let's lead off. I'll, I'll, my hots, um, Daytona super speedway racing is hot. It's incredible. But, but more to the point, <laughs> and, and it's almost... If it was a film, it would be comedic scheduling that race as the race to decide who makes the playoffs and not. Because plate restrictor plate racing on a super speedway is the biggest lottery in motorsport. Completely. Um, yes, it takes skill, 100%. Yes, it takes engineering, 100%. But there is so much dumb luck involved as well that you don't get caught up in the big one. You don't get fired off the road to the right and roll 11 and a half times, three of them in the air without touching the ground. Um, like there's so much dumb luck involved. It is. I love, I love NASCAR's. I don't, it's not arrogance. It's like, I, I don't know what the right descriptive word to describe putting that race as the cutoff, but I love it. But I, I th- think th- it's brilliant. It's the wild card race, isn't it? Well, you know, it's, it's that, it gives everyone an opportunity. There were 17 drivers that correct. If they won, they were in. And how many times do you see a wild card winner at Daytona? And, and that's, I love that. It's so good. I think what it is, is that, you know, we all have these discussions here about, oh, you know, it's, it's the sport versus the show. NASCAR's like, no, man, this is about the show. This is all about the show. They get it. They get that side of it. And that's why the place was sold out. There are 120,000 people there. And that's why I'm sure the TV ratings were big. And it was utterly captivating. And the fact it was on at a good time in Australia helped. But what an incredible race. And, um, yeah, we obviously got away with one with uh, with our 16 and a half turns with Pike rollover in the middle. But, again, that shows the the durability of those cars now. So it's a hot. I, I Just all elements of that race being where it is and, and Daytona having been there and seen it live, that's hot. Um, I'm going to give a hot to the camera positioning at Zandvoort. Uh, in particular, the run from turn three round the back to sort of turn six and seven, because I reckon it is one of the best camera angles in Formula One, coupled with a narrow circuit with no runoff. It, it's um, 
it's up there with a swimming pool at Monaco for showing the speed and the violence of those mm. cars. And they used it really well. And their cars are dicing and George Russell's off the road. And as I was saying before the magic of editing cut out what was a rather disastrous coughing fit, um, I hope you edited that out, Shebex. Um, the camera there's angles. No, there's no guarantee. No, you're right. There isn't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, the camera angles at Zandvoort were sensational. And I thought they showed the speed and violence of a Formula One car brilliantly. Uh, enjoyed that thoroughly. Uh, another hot to Scotty McLaughlin, who at the same time as getting pole in IndyCar just before that took out Will Power and Marcus Ericsson. And uh, and then also has some beef with David Malukas. So um, he he got heavily Malukas there, didn't he? He got totally Malukas. Um, so Scotty is ticking the really really fast, controversial walking storyline boxes everywhere, uh, and is still beloved by fans. So he is just doing everything he possibly can to further ingratiate himself in um, U.S. Open Wheel Racing in IndyCar, which I just absolutely think is fantastic. So uh, well done. And uh, another hot, we gave it the other week to Scott Dixon, who um, is the saviour for the green movement, clearly. Like, he he is saving more fuel mm. than us reducing our carbon emissions mm. to 50% of what they are in five years or whatever. How he manages to make fuel, I do not know, but he did that IndyCar race on two stops less than most people and uh, still won it. But he's been uh, doing that for years, Rich. It, I know, but he still less. does it. How? It's ridiculous. Does he have a catheter no one, or something? No one else has worked out how the hell he does it. And that's what the most impressive thing about it is, because everyone's got the same machinery, but only he has this ability to do it, and it never, ever ceases to amaze. He's one of the all-time greats. Um, And that's all the hots I've got this week. I didn't put much effort into them. I'm sorry. I went with the Australian and they, Grand Prix, Mark. Frankly, they always kill me. So, <laughs> um, I like like this NASCAR format because every stage, every section of every race during the year, it means something. And now you've got guys like Martin Truex Jr. and William Byron who have thirty nine bonus points that they can carry forward through these next ten weeks. They've got three rounds of three in the final round of four there. And I, I really like that format that um, those guys who've had a lot of success during the year, that they're in the, the box seat to capitalize on it and take it all the way to the end of the year. So I, I like that format and I like that they do end it on a wild card. And they've sort of ended it on three wild cards really with the two road courses uh, leading into the super speedway. I think that's cool. Uh, Chris Busher, oh, he's hot. He is actually hot at the moment. Three wins for the season, three wins in the last five races, the RFK cars, Coming good, pushed all the way to the finish by Brad Keselowski. So there was no wild card winner. Um, and yeah, you talk about it being luck. Those guys are really, really good at super speedways, and they showed it again there in the weekend. So uh, they're absolutely on fire at the right end of the season. Uh, Bubba Wallace too. Hot goes to him because he was the guy who pointed in there at the end. Um, first ever playoffs appearance for him, which is a, a pretty big deal for Denny Hamlin, Michael Jordan. Um, look, I've had some time to ponder this and having the supercast fans just been blessed with no paddle shift and supercast this year. <laughs> I was waiting for this. <laughs> and everyone on the internet vowed to stop watching unless the sequential shift mm. was retained and haven't they been showered in hours of nonstop memories of in-car footage of the drivers absolutely going nuts in a gear shifter. <laughs> it's just things you love to see. Great stuff. Well done, people power, for making that a thing that's <laughs> yep. happened in 2023. Yeah. Yeah. Um, look, look, I've figured out why Germany is so good at producing world champions. You know, Mikhail Schumacher, Sebastian Vettel, Volta Roll, and to a lesser extent, Ralph Schumacher, Nico Hülkenberg, and possibly even uh, Hans Hermann and Christian Danner. And it all comes down to their daily motoring here. Yeah, in Germany, Shell V-Power, it's 100 octane. You know, their Stocko feels 95. So you, that sort of sets a scene that, they need to get stuff done and they need to get stuff done in a big hurry. And by the way, when you're at the Shell Servo getting your V-Power, you can also buy your booze in the shop, which is a very nice touch. That's Doesn't a that very just... civilised thing, isn't it? Oh, mm. hang on. I need a beer. Righto. Done. No worries. Um, <laughs> then you have all the traffic lights. They all flash on amber before they go green, like staging 
drag strip Christmas tree. Mm. So every time a car starts on the front row of a traffic light, all the locals just take pride in their low reaction times. It's really good to see. Uh, the general attitude towards driving, it, you know, frankly, it's one of ferocious desire to get to the supermarket around the corner in the quickest possible time. You know, I'd best describe it as controlled aggression, focused, no niceties, just quintessential German efficiency. You know, there's also a lack of speed limits here, which, um, yeah, and when they do put speed limits in place past a kindergarten, you know, the speeding fine's like five bucks and mm. you just carry on with your life <laughs> so long as you don't play into the kindergarten. <laughs> um, yeah, they could feel the entire F1 grid if they want to, but I think everyone just gets their motorsport fix as they try and send it down to Aldi at 150 k's an hour to grab some chockies. <laughs> and um, ultimately, motorsport misses out. Um, I'm calling hot, but it should be a not. Frederick Vesti lost both his rear wheels. Mm. in the F- F2 race and scenes that uh, probably could have been replicated by Ferrari, really. Yep. yep. Um, Liam Lawson, P13, he battled hard with Leclerc there. Like, he he was awesome. I thought that was a really solid debut with everything that you said before. Uh, and also the battle of Alpine versus McLaren. You know, both at times this year, those teams have looked absolutely hopeless and should have packed it up and gone home. But here they are with two podiums apiece at this point of the season. I don't really know where Gasly came from the weekend, but um, there he was up there picking up the pieces when Checo didn't do a very good job. Mm. Um, that nationwide series finish, Rich, Algar and Sheldon Creed, yep. nothing in it. Things you love to see. And um, final hot for me, it's just great being here in Germany and seeing the ZB Commodore absolutely dominating the roads of Europe in its natural environment with an Opal badge, a tremendous car that did great things. And I've mm. literally seen, and I've literally seen five of them. Brilliant. Yep. yep. Just grab some badges off one, Opal badges off one place next time you see one and um, just chuck them in the carry on on your way back. Oh, I will when I see my sixth one. Yep. Yeah, no worries. That'll be outstanding. Thank you very much. I like it. Do I need to edit that? Or is it... No, 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 no. That, that can stay. No, 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 no. I'm still alive. Uh, Knots, gentlemen, as we wrap it up. Yeah. Uh, the Dutch podium, uh, if, if you're an Alpine driver, they put the wrong name up. So that's embarrassing. Yeah. Oops. Um, Formula One's red flag procedure. Do you mm-hmm. want to opine on this as well, Mark? Because mm-hmm. for a very long time, as we sat there and waited for that race to restart, what it felt like happening was a test cricket rain delay where and and test cricket is just the worst for this at the moment yep. where they will have a rain delay and then they'll inspect the pitch and then they'll go, oh, no, we're going to inspect it again in 15 minutes. And by then the rain stopped and then they inspect it again in 15 minutes and they go, oh, it's probably not quite right yet. We'll give it another 15 minutes. And then when that 15 minutes happens, it starts bloody raining again. Uh, rather than just going, do you know what? This looks pretty good. Let's play cricket. Sunday night almost went down that path. Uh, they got very, very lucky uh, with that race and the restart process. And um, it felt for a while there that they were going to rain delay long enough that it would rain again. Um, And also, why mandate them start? How lack of confidence do you have in your wet tyre that you mandate the field start on intermediates? They mandated that field restart the race on the intermediate tyre. How crap must the Pirelli wet tyre be? And that isn't down to Pirelli. That's down to the FIA not jumping in early enough and fixing that. Like, that is untenable for our sport. And it's no reason why they've become so gun-shy at racing these cars, the best drivers in the world, in the rain in recent memory. So the Formula 1 tyre deal is up. Allegedly, it's down to Pirelli and Bridgestone, if you read the media reports. Um, I hope part of that new contract is you better build us a decent wet weather tire that can actually function because what's the point? What it is an all weather sport. If you're not going to run in the rain, there is just no point in rocking up. So um, yeah, that was, we, we, they got very, very lucky that the race turned out to be as good as it was because they could have just sat there and delayed and delayed and delayed until the thing was dry. And then it probably would have started raining again. Not good enough. FIA sort your crap out with your red flag procedures. It shouldn't take that long. Just the one knot from me, and that's for Simona Di Silvestro having her appendix removed and uh, well, forcing her to miss testing with DJR. But although on the side, you'd probably say hot that it didn't kill her. So, no, you no, know, no. Well, yeah. that's a bonus. True, true. 
Mm. It might be a what then? More so. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it's not that it happened. Wish you all the best, Samantha. Not that it happened to her, but hot that they caught oh, it no, in that's time. Exactly because right. yeah. appendicitis can be incredibly poor. Pugnitis, so, blood poisoning. Yeah, shocking. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Mark. Um. Yeah, that red flag and that red flag when you've got dinner reservations. Um, <laughs> oh, after dinner racing. Not that a problem really... for the Australian audience that we're playing to, but yep. <laughs> but, but hell, even NASCAR have figured out that rain delays are rubbish and they've got their air tightens and they're mm. track drying things up to scratch and yep. wet tyres for short ovals now. And here are NASCAR, the world's best drivers and the world's best cars, and they can't go around when it's raining because they might get wet. Like, But what's the solution? Do they? Is it the spray or is it the tyres? What's Well, clearly know, they're they able to... The spray is part of the massive issue with ground effects cars, but that's not new. <laughs> no, they produced a lot of spray when they ground effects cars in the eighties. Yep. Um, so that's bad. Um, and yeah, but why? The clearly the Pirelli wet is just rubbish. So, and and that was reinforced when the race director mandated that they start on the intermediate tire. Like that shouldn't be the case. If you want to start in a full wet because you think it's going to give you an advantage, like go your hardest. You should be able to do that. Mm. Mm. Uh, finally, that Ferrari pit stop. They forgot that they needed tyres. Then they forgot that they needed to change his buggered front wing. Mm. Champagne Ferrari. I hope they never change. Yes. Especially this weekend, Monza. They'll probably get some helpers <laughs> jump the fence. Yeah, correct. Correct. Oh, that's good. Alrighty, boys. Hey, before we wrap up, before yep. we wrap up, one more thing. I don't normally give recommendations on this show, but I would like to recommend the show Lucky with an exclamation mark. Uh, it's on Stan. Uh, maybe get yourself a seven day trial for the speed series round in a week or two and, um, and watch this while you're at it. But it's an eight part documentary series produced by Manish Pandey, who produced, wrote, edited, directed Senna, which was outstanding. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the Bernie Eccleston story. Now it is very much formula one story told by Bernie Eccleston. So if you go into it with that, that it's the Bernie side of everything, um, I think you'll find it an incredibly entertaining watch. And there is some vision in that series that has, you know, I've, I've watched a lot of Formula One over the years and a lot of random videos and stuff, but there's stuff in there that I'd never seen. Incredible vision archive that's been used for it. So highly recommended if you're in for a little bit of motorsport doco series kind of watching. Um, yeah, it's, it's called Lucky. Look it up. It's tremendous. Well worth a watch. Yeah, I, I pinched it on the Qatar Airways coming over here, and I'd kind of be interested to hear the return serve from the French, what their yep. side of the story was. Like they weren't painted in terribly pleasant picture there in that in that docu series, but uh, no. I'd love to hear what their side of it was. Like mm-hmm. were they just dickheads, or and th- there's a bit of a theme in that too because they weren't painted particularly well in Senna in the film either, done mm-hmm. by the same director. So I don't, I'm not sure if he's got a beef with the French or not, or maybe they were just as bad as they make them sound. But um, yeah, I, I agree. But yeah, very very cool. Are you coming back, Qatar Airways, Mark? Uh yes, I'll miss next week's show because yeah, I'll just... be on one. Check that your plane's oh, actually allowed to land in Australia. I think Qantas have banned all Qatar Airways planes on there or something yeah. to help their bottom line. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, or I could just record the podcast from 37F. Yeah, well. I mean, that, that'll go down well. Internet yeah. on, yeah, well, they have internet up there, don't they? Yeah, why not? Send mm-hmm. it. Yeah, right, we'll talk about that. Excellent. Otherwise, we'll uh, catch you soon and we'll catch you soon. Thanks for joining us right here on The Grid.